In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, as always, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast. And as always, thanks to our sponsor, Andrus and Hauser, a global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation. Andrus and Hauser, the people for process automation. In fact, our guest today that we'll get to right away is an Andrus and Hauser client. And we're going to be talking about, among possibly other things, an article he posted on LinkedIn entitled, Do You Trust Your Instruments? But I wanted to say first that on our OGGN Industry Leaders podcast, that the host, Paige Wilson, will be interviewing a couple of Endris and Hauser executives soon. So be watching for that. Check out this and all our podcast selections at OGGN.com. So our guest today is Jackson Udy. Jackson is with, well, Jackson, why don't you say who you're with? where you are, what you do, and then let's go from there and talk about the LinkedIn article you posted that I just referenced. Yeah, sounds great, Russell. So my name is Jackson Udy. I'm a process engineer with Valero Energy. I work at our Benicio Refinery out here in the Bay Area in California. Hang on, you work at what facility? Sorry, the Benicia. So it's it's in the it's about thirty miles north of San Francisco, smaller refinery town. They actually have refineries in California, close to San Francisco. Good old Nancy Pelosi's. Well, yeah, territory. you know, people are surprised. There's actually quite a few refineries in the Bay Area. I think there's five of them. And you know, I always tell people that even being in California, working at a refinery is just like a little piece of Texas in California. So it's, <laughs> you know, you I'm sure you would fit in here, Russell. <laughs> Except for my accent, you know. Oh, you'd be surprised. There's still quite a few guys with a Texas accent, you know, that come in. So you know, you feel know, a little bit at home still. People won't know this, but we won't detract from the interview here. But when I was a teenager, I actually lived in a refining town in Lloydminster, Alberta, Canada, where the big Husky refinery plant was. And my first day in junior high, I was standing in the hallway and I had made a friend already that summer and we had our lockers together and I opened my mouth and said something to him and all of a sudden everybody stopped in the hallway and they looked at me <laughs> <laughs> and they said, are you from Texas? <laughs> Let's see, Jackson, you're not from Texas though, right? That's right. So I'm from Pennsylvania originally. That's where I went to high school. My parents moved along, around a lot when I was a kid. And then I went to college at Brigham Young University. That's out in Provo, Utah for your listeners who aren't familiar with it. And then after I graduated, I took a job here with Valero and I've been doing this ever since. Okay. So, and you graduated how many years ago? I graduated almost four years ago, 2016. And then I started working just very beginning of 2017. So it's been okay. just over three years. And so what's a process engineer? Yeah. So a process engineer, they're pretty operations oriented. So we're going in every day and we're seeing how the plant's running. We're meeting with our operations folks, operators, making sure they're making the right moves. And then, you know, there's a lot of longer term stuff, planning for maintenance, for turnarounds, things like that. And then you're probably more interested in is there's a lot of process safety aspects too. Um, exactly. Like for, right now, for instance, you know, I'm in a 
process hazard analysis, which probably a lot of your listeners are familiar with. So we're hashing out how to keep our alkylation units safer. And, you know, there's, like I said, lots of other process safety things like investigations, doing management to change, things like that. So, you know, I think it's a really fun job. Honestly, for me, I love it. It's, I mean, it's the best job I can think of. It's just a lot of fun. And, you know, you get, and, get your, and your degree, your degree is in what? Is in chemical engineering. Chemical engineering. Okay. Yep. So are you mechanically inclined? I mean, depends on who you ask. If you ask my wife, she'd probably tell you no, but I'd like to think that I am. <laughs> I try and be handy at work and at home. <laughs> well, I guess you don't have to be as handy sometimes with technology, right? I guess that's true, but it always helps, I suppose. <laughs> okay. So you posted this article on LinkedIn. And for those of you who are interested in reading it, we'll paste a link to it in the show notes, but it's entitled, Do You Trust Your Instruments? And it says, recently I saw a safety article that resonated with me and the topic was trusting plant instruments. So you say a few days go by where you or one of your coworkers don't question an instrument reading on the plant at work. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So kind of a little bit of the background. So this article I read is from the Center for Chemical Process Safety. And they do some really great safety bulletins every month for anyone who's interested in process safety. And they sent one out maybe last April that was on a subject very similar to this. And they talked about trusting your instruments. And I thought that that, you know, it really resonated with me because I see a lot. And I think this happens at a lot of plants where, you know, engineers and operations personnel will be troubleshooting, you know, something that's going wrong in your process unit. And when you find, you know, you kind of come up with a, a story, right? You think you know what's going on. You're kind of coming up with a hypothesis, right? You're figuring out what's happening. But sometimes you get an instrument that doesn't quite make sense, right? You know, oh, well, this doesn't fit with my, my theory with what's going on, right? And so I see a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but I, it's not uncommon to see people try throw that information out because it doesn't fit in your hypothesis. But when I read this article, you know, and then that's what prompts me to write my own article, kind of expounding on it is that that can be pretty dangerous because you can open yourself up to process safety incidents. And I think you start out with an example of that where you were helping put together a new bypass around an exchanger. Yeah. Yeah. So I can talk about that. And for your listeners, if they check out the article, there's a little PFD. It'll make it a little bit easier to follow along. But basically, we were coming out of a turnaround and we just started up exchanger bypass around this feed heater, basically, for this fixed bed reactor. And as part of the startup, we were monitoring, so kind of laid out for people who aren't looking at it. You know, we have a reactor, then you have an you know, exchanger that cools the reactor effluent, goes through a control valve, and then goes to a stabilizer tower that gets rid of all the light ends, and then your finished product comes out the bottoms. And so anyways, so while we were starting up this bypass, we were worried that the temperature going into the stabilizer would be too hot. And so we were monitoring it. And as we were looking at it, as I was looking at it, I saw I had two thermocouple, two indications, and one was reading too hot and one was reading too cold. And so I sat there and I thought, well, you know, which one of these two indications are correct? That was my first thought. Okay. One of these must be wrong because they're both on the same stream, you know, not that much distance between them. One of them must be the right one. One must be the wrong one. So I sat there thinking about it and I did, you know, thing I think any typical processor do or someone operations, they're trending things, they're looking up past value, seeing if it changed anywhere, trying to deduce which one's correct. And anyways, so I was doing that for a while and I was about ready to just basically pick the one that I wanted, which was the lower temperature and keep moving on. But then I realized what had actually been happening in the stream is that there was flashing occurring across this control valve. 
And so flashing cooled down the stream. And so you had about a 20 degree difference. It wasn't a lot of flashing going on, but we, I did a little modeling and I saw, oh, okay, there's, you know, 10% of the stream or so is flashing across this valve. And so when I realized that, you know, I thought back to that article I read and I thought, oh, you know, this is exactly what, what they talked about, right? Where if you're troubleshooting, you're looking at your instruments, you know, if you don't trust them, then you'll throw it out and then you won't see the real picture, right? I didn't know that there was flashing occurring across this valve. I just had no idea, right? But because I had both those instruments and I guess because I thought about it long enough to realize I was thinking about it incorrectly, we were able to figure that out. And then we realized, oh, you know what? This is, you know, we're in a safe posture. We can keep moving on. And had you've made the automatic assumption that one instrument had to be wrong and and you chose the wrong one, that could have had serious consequences, right? Yeah. I mean, in this scenario, probably not as serious as some others. Thankfully, you know, this was kind of a lower risk, but you could have maybe like an off-spec product or things like that. Maybe not necessarily any large safety incidents, but I mean, there are a lot of those in industry that we could talk about. Well, and what you say in the article is when plant personnel ignore instrumentation, it's often because you make an erroneous assumption that there's something wrong with the instrumentation and that can lead to serious process safety implications. And you give a couple of examples of that. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. And so a good example of that is, and this is an older incident, it's back in the 1960s. So there's a chemical facility in Tennessee and they had an explosion that caused 16 fatalities and 300 injuries. And so what they had at their facility was they had a thermocouple inside a distillation tower and it was reading 250 degrees when it was supposed to read 215 degrees, right? That's what they were expecting. And so what they did is they sent someone out to go look at the thermocouple, right? Because it's faulty. Well, unfortunately, that technician lost his life because he went out to this tower when it was in an unsafe condition, right? But they, you know, operations personnel didn't believe it. So had they trusted their instrument, you know, maybe the incident could have been avoided. Maybe they could have made some operational moves. You know, I wasn't there, obviously. It makes you realize the danger of not trusting those instruments because you could send someone into the danger zone without thinking that you are. So Jackson, they made the assumption that the the reading on the thermocouple was wrong. It kind of begs the question, why did they have the instrument on there in the first place if they weren't going to trust it? Right. Well, Russell, you know, they may have been using it for something other than looking for safety, right? Maybe for, for example, like product specification, making sure your product's on spec the way it's supposed to be. So, you know, a lot of these instruments, you might use them for multiple things and you're used to day in and day out using them for, for, for example, like I said, product quality, you might not think about the safety implications that they might have as well. So even if the first thing you're saying is don't automatically make the assumption that the instrument, that something's gone wrong with the instrument. But the second thing is, even if you do believe there's something wrong with the instrument, you still need to proceed under the assumption that is reading correctly and that recognize the potential danger that it's telling you. And like, for example, in this case, they should have shut that distillation column down before they sent a technician in, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good to have a healthy amount of skepticism around plant readings that you have. But really, I think the important thing to ask yourself is what's the consequence if this is reading correctly, right? So if you have a thermocouple, you know, for example, or let's say you have a furnace and it's reading no flow, well, then if you don't have flow in that furnace, then you could coke up that furnace or something to that extent, right? Or if you have a reactor with no flow, you might have a runaway or whatever. 
So it's those things that indicate a dangerous condition that I think that you need to step back and say, okay, if this might be real, if I don't trust it, I need to at least get to a place where I know I'm safe. So then I can safely troubleshoot it instead of either, you know, moving on with, if you're in a startup, moving on your startup procedure or what have you. But I guess the important point is to make sure that before you start troubleshooting, you're in a safe spot. You know what I'm saying? And I think that right there, folks, we're not quite done with the podcast yet, but there's your safety tip of the day right there. That's, (laughs) that's, that's very, very important. You know, I think what happens is we talk about in the intro to this show that when it first started, this was our purpose and it, it remains that just as much today as it did then. But the whole point of this podcast, the whole point of safety is to make sure everyone comes home safe every day. And I have talked to so many safety consultants, people out there trying to, you know, I guess, enforce safety rules or make sure people are following the 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 right protocols and that sort of thing. And it has to be more than, than these are just rules, you know, and you know, the old, like your parents used to say, because I, you know, why do I have to do this? And it's because I said so, you know, there are reasons behind these things that we do and we implement. And it is so that you can go home safe to your family every day because People take off for work in the mornings and sometimes they don't come home. And of course, they didn't expect that when they left that morning. You know, nobody ever, you know, intends for that to happen, but we become complacent and we make wrong assumptions. And so that's one of the, that's one of the beauties of instrumentation. And we really need to take close look at it before we go off and and make the wrong assumptions. You talk about another incident in this article at a California oil refinery. That wasn't yours, was it? No, it was not, but it's right across the bay from where I work, so I'm familiar with it. But yeah, that was so another good incident that talks about trusting your instruments is so there was a hydrocracker. This is again like Russell said in the Bay Area, California. I mean a hydrocracker for your listeners aren't familiar is a big, you know, very exothermic reaction that occurs in a oil refinery. And so anyway, so they run a high pressure, high temperature. And in this scenario, this hydrocracker reactor had really high outlet temperatures. Okay, they went off scale high. And the board operator, unfortunately, was hesitant to believe the temperature indication that he was getting. And because of that, he did not depressure the hydrocracker unit. And so they ended up having a fire and an explosion, and they ended up having one fatality from that incident. Yeah, in fact, in your article, it was one fatality and 46 injuries. And a lot of times those injuries can last for a lifetime. Anything else you can share with us, Jackson, that you think might be pertinent to this subject? Well, you know, you just you got me thinking, Russell, when you're talking about safety rules and coming home safely. I think a lot of that has to do with your safety culture. And I think process safety is a big part of that, that, for example, for someone like me as a process engineer can make a big difference at, right? So when you're talking at these instruments, when you're, you know, troubleshooting your equipment, you know, there's not necessarily rules, safety rules on how to do that at, at most facilities, right? You're, you're relying on your own technical expertise. So I think this kind of thing where you ask, you know, if you're troubleshooting stuff and you're with your operations personnel and say, hey, you know, we need to get in a safe position before we assume that this instrument's not working or if we're going to troubleshoot this. We need to, you know, go back a few steps in our startup procedure, whatever it takes to make sure that you don't, you know, unintentionally cause an incident because you're not trusting, you don't believe your instruments. Well, and in fact, at the end of the article, I think you do a real good job 
of saying, you say not trusting process instrumentation can lead to serious incidents. This is especially true for instruments that indicate an unsafe condition. So what can you do to make sure this doesn't happen to you? And you give three simple steps here. And I'm, in fact, I'm going to just read these and that's how we'll wind this thing up. But number one, and this is what we've been talking about over and over again, we've been saying don't automatically assume that an instrument's not working right. What you say is assume an instrument is working until proven otherwise, especially when the reading could indicate an unsafe process condition. Ask yourself, what are the consequences if this instrument is reading correctly and then take appropriate action? So that's number one. Number two, you can use other instruments and samples to confirm suspicious readings. And number three, you say, finally, don't assume an instrument isn't working because you don't understand how the reading could be correct. And that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think so. (laughs) But I wrote it, so I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jackson, what we might also say is as we wind down here and as we thank everyone again for listening and Thanks again to our sponsor, Endress and Hauser, and we can gratuitously say that another important aspect of instrumentation is to make sure you get quality instruments, right? Yes, of course. For sure. (laughs) So thanks again, everyone, for listening to this podcast. Please tune in next week for another episode of Endress and Hauser's Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S.-based partner for measurement, instrumentation, services, and solutions. We are your people for process automation. Discover more about Anderson Hauser at cx.endress.com forward slash HSE dash podcast and register for our monthly podcast giveaway. Follow us on LinkedIn at at Anderson Hauser Group and on Twitter at Endress underscore U.S., As usual, you don't have to remember all that. We've got it all in the show notes. You can look it up. Please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about us, and we'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.